Whoa, that's great, right? My uh, grandson goes to Redlands Christian, and they had a big outdoor festival, and so we were there. And you know what? I forgot about the sun. It's been so long. You know, the clouds cover, and I paid the price. Now, in an opposite way, sometimes we forget about uh, things in our Christian life. Sometimes we forget about the Word of God, and instead of you don't get a sunburn, you miss out on the, the joy of that. And so today, I want to, it's part of what we're doing, I want us to, uh, we're going to talk about God's Word, and I want us to see the positive nature, the positive things it can be in our lives. So turn in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. Today we'll be looking at a whopping three verses, 15 through 17, and I'm going to read them to us now as we begin. It's from the ESV Bible. Uh, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we talked about, uh, as we've talked about in several of the past studies, these practical instructions that Paul gives, along with the others found in the second half of Colossians, are based on the theological truths found in the first half. So if you weren't with us for the first half, let me briefly summarize the truths. The things we stand on include the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is supreme in all things, and Uh, The believers, those who trust in Christ, uh, receive new life in Him. And based on these truths, Paul gives us a series of instructions so that we might experience fullness in our new life. By God's grace, through faith, we've been saved. We've died to our old self, and we've been raised to new life in Christ. But to experience that new life... We must follow the commands given to us in the Word of God. And in the the three verses we'll look at today, Paul gives us three new life commands. Now, as uh, independent-minded Americans, when when we hear the word command, we tend to experience a little internal rebellion. At least I do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. But we must trust that these commands from God are for our good. They come to us who are His children. Those who Christ died for. Those who've received God's mercy, His grace, and His love. Therefore, obeying these commands is the best thing for us. We need to get that. That needs to be uh, uh, in our hearts. We need to understand that. Recently, I've seen articles... Uh, books, different things, internet ads about, uh, they have this title, Living Your Best Life. Anybody ever, to be perfectly honest, I have no idea what they're talking about, what those, I I haven't read any of the articles, but the statement is interesting. I don't know what it means to others, but I want us to understand that it is uh, for the believer, by obeying the commands of God, 
three of which we'll look at today, that you and I can and will live our best new life in Christ. That's what I want us to focus on today, our best new life in Christ. You know, the Bible uh, sort of seeks to motivate us in two ways, like a lot of things, with the uh, carrot and the stick. You guys familiar with that? The stick is real. You know, there is a hell. There are negative consequences for our sin. But we sometimes uh, emphasize that over the carrot, over the positive things. And I don't know why it's a carrot, because it's a donkey, the picture. I'd rather it be a cheesecake or something, you know. But the saying is the stick or the carrot. So uh, today I want us to focus really in on that carrot, on what God offers us. So as we look at these commands, I'd, I'd say rid yourself of rebellion, of that nobody's going to tell me what to do, and open your heart to what God has for you when you trust Him and obey His commands. And the first command we're given is to submit to the peace of Christ. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. There are actually, uh, uh, let me read the whole verse, to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. There are actually two instructions in this verse. The, the second is to be thankful. And we're going to look at being thankful along with uh, when we get to our final point, since Paul addresses it in all three commands in verses 15, 16, and 17. But now we'll focus on Paul's instruction, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And to obey this command, we need to understand what the peace of Christ is. What is the peace of Christ? Now, there are at least three aspects of this peace. The first being the most crucial and foundational, and that is peace with God. Peace with God. If you have your notes, point A, under point one, peace with God. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of Christ is peace He provides between God and those who He's justified by faith. Those who, by God's grace, have had their sins forgiven and been declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Put simply, those who are saved have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, before you or I were justified by faith, before we were saved, declared righteous by God, by trusting in Christ, we were not at peace with God. We are not born into peace with God. In fact, the Bible says we were, as I think Liam prayed, God's enemies. In verse 10 of Romans 5, Paul writes, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The word reconciled means to return to with favor, to be brought back into relationship with. Because of our sin and rebellion against God, our relationship with Him was broken. We were His enemies. We were in rebellion against Him. But by the death of His Son, we were reconciled, returned to favor with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who God has justified are now able to enter into His holy presence. So peace with God is first and foremost, most important aspect of peace of, uh, peace of Christ. That's the, the peace of Christ the most important aspect of peace with Christ is our peace with God. 
the peace that Christ provides. And that, so you have to ask yourself, do you have that peace? Have you been justified by faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have that peace with God even today? Because the second peace flows from the first, peace within yourself. Christ not only ends our hostilities with God, but he gives us the gift of internal peace. In the hours before he died, Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is leaving. This is before he goes to the cross. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to leave. And he wants to leave his his disciples with something, and he leaves them with his peace. To those who trust in him, Jesus gives us his own personal peace. My peace I give to you. Peace that is not of this world. Peace that calms our troubled hearts. Peace that removes our fears. The Greek word for peace, both in Colossians... Romans, John, same word. It means a state of rest or tranquility. The idea is the, uh, the tranquil, peaceful state is this, it, of, a, of a soul for the believer includes assurance of salvation through Christ. But it's even more. It's the presence of Christ in your life. The peace of Christ comes with the presence of Christ. Have you experienced that kind of peace? That tranquility of the soul, that presence of Christ that brings assurance of salvation, peace that removes anxiety and fear. I can still remember my first experience of this peace. It was uh, 1975, 76, somewhere around there. I was 13 years old. Do the math, turning 60 this year. Woohoo! That wasn't a very big cheer for 60. I mean, wow. So, anyway, I'd recently seen and experienced the conversion and transformation of my parents. If you want to know about that, talk to my dad. He's sitting right there. And they'd taken me to church. Uh, it was Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where I saw the movie A Thief in the Night. Anybody seen that movie? Uh, you're dating yourself. <laughs> this, to my knowledge, is the first of the rapture movies where all the believers disappeared from the earth and all others were left behind to experience hell on earth. And I'll tell you this, after seeing the movie, I had no peace. I was, in fact, filled with anxiety and fear. That night, we stayed at my grandparents' house. I was sleeping on the living room floor, and my dad was sleeping on the couch. And I can't tell you how many times I woke up, looked up at the couch to make sure he was still there. You see, I was certain he was saved, but I was not so sure about myself. Oh, I prayed to receive Christ over and over again, but there was something missing. I had no tranquility No rest in my soul. No assurance of salvation through Christ. Because to be perfectly honest, I just wanted Christ because I didn't want to be left behind. It wasn't until several months later when I was at church again, this time Calvary Chapel Riverside, now Harvest, where Pastor Greg Laurie introduced me to Luke chapter 11, verse 23, 
where Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And when I heard these words, even though I never thought, uh, never would have thought I was against Jesus, I would never have considered myself an enemy of God, I knew that I wasn't with him, that I wasn't his ally, he wasn't my Lord. So that morning, sitting in a church pew, I surrendered my life to him as Lord and Savior. And it was then that I got uh, my first taste of the peace of Christ. I understood that now there was peace between me and God. And that resulted in, in a tranquil, peaceful state of soul assurance of its salvation through Christ. I received the peace of Christ. Now, my story is not unique. All who've put their faith in Christ have a similar story. A time when they uh, first experienced the peace of Christ in their life. And I'm sure that the Colossians also had their stories as well. How they came to Christ, how they experienced peace with God through Christ, and how Christ gave them peace in their souls. And yet, to the Colossians and to us, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Well, that certainly implies that even after we've tasted that initial peace, that gift of Christ, here, you get my peace, we must continue, we must purpose to let it rule in our hearts. So what does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Well, the word rule means to arbitrate, to govern. About this word in his commentary on Colossians, New Testament Bible scholar F.F. Bruce says, In many extra-biblical sources, the Greek word rule used here referred to the function of one who took it on himself to decide what is right in a contest. The sense here is let the peace of Christ be umpire in your heart amidst the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right. Let it be your counselor. So the idea is not only do you experience the peace, the tranquility of Christ in your hearts, do you just feel, oh, I'm at peace, but do you submit to that peace? Do you lean into that peace of Christ, allowing it to decide what you do, what you don't do in any given situation? As you experience hardships, as you experience difficulties, pain, suffering, conflict, do you trust in Christ? Do you trust in the sovereignty of God? Do you trust the great promise from Romans 8.28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Because it's when we trust that God is at work for our good, even in times of pain and suffering, hardship and conflict, that we experience the peace of Christ. Oh, this is not a good situation that I'm experiencing maybe with my neighbor. My neighbor is having problems with me, but God is at work. I can have peace. And when in the midst of peace, in the midst of our troubles, we let the peace of Christ rule our hearts, we need not be ruled by anxiety and fear. Instead, we can be ruled by and act based on our trust in Christ, our assurance of His presence in our lives, our assurance that he's at work even in our trials and difficulties. We see this pictured for us uh, quite dramatically. I mean, we have, you know, I thought about this. What, some examples? My examples were kind of weak compared to Acts chapter 7. 
This is the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Because of his testimony, his life for Christ, Stephen experienced great conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. They arrested him, they questioned him again and again, and Stephen, filled with faith and obvious peace, responded with this brilliant discourse on the history of the Jewish people. Read it. That's your homework, Acts chapter 7. And this discourse included how how the, the Jewish people continually rejected the law and the prophets, Stephen being a Jew himself. And this didn't make the Jewish religious leaders very happy. And when Stephen went, to, went on to tell them that he, at that very moment, he was seeing, uh, uh, if you will, heaven open. He was seeing the glory of God and Jesus, who they rejected, who they had killed, standing at the right hand of God. They didn't like that at all. They took him, they cast him out in the city, and they stoned him. And in verse 59 of Acts 7, we read, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. As Stephen faced death, as he experienced death, he was not troubled or fearful. Instead, the peace of Christ ruled in his heart. And he was empowered, like Christ himself, to forgive those who were killing him. That's pretty uh, radical peace, right? So Paul has told us that like Stephen, we are to let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. When we experience difficulty and hardship and attacks and insults and conflict, which seem to be growing in our culture, we're to submit not to our earthly desires, to worry, to fear. We're not to lash out but we're to submit to the peace of Christ, that supernatural peace that comes from His presence in our lives. And then Paul adds a a third kind of peace that Christ provides. This peace flows both from our peace with God and our peace within ourselves. That is, peace within the body of Christ. Verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. This peace of Christ, which we're uh, to allow to rule in our hearts, is what we're called to experience in His body, which means God called us as His children to live in peace with one another. There is a shared tranquility in the body of Christ. The same idea is captured and commanded in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, beginning in verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable and in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As the body of Christ, when when we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, then we will seek peace wherever possible with one another, and with all, with the others in the world. Peace should govern our relationships. Not that we should give in to everything, but we should come at it with a peaceful heart, not with conflict in mind. Wherever possible, wherever it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes somebody's going to make war on you. 
But your response should be one of peace. How much misery in our relationships would we avoid if we permitted the peace of Christ to umpire our hearts? How many thoughts, words, or actions uh, we escape, we would escape if, if His peace was the ruler in our lives? How many sleepless nights we would forgo if we submitted to the peace of Christ? So if you desire to live your best new life in Christ, first, let His peace rule in your heart. Submit to the peace of Christ. Maybe even spend some time in prayer asking God, you know, I don't even experience that peace very much. Lord, give me your peace. You promised it to your disciples uh, over 2,000 years ago. Give it to me today, Lord. Give me your peace and then, and then give me the power to submit to it when I face difficulty, hardship, and conflict. And then second, Paul writes, internalize the word of Christ. So Submit to the peace of Christ and then internalize the word of Christ. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Now, there's some discussion as to what the word of Christ refers to. Because when Paul wrote Colossians, uh, what we call the New Testament had not been assembled and some of it had not yet been written. So for the Colossian believers, the ESV study Bible says... And I would agree. The word of Christ probably referred to the teaching about Christ as well as the words of Christ himself, which were part of the oral traditions passed on to believers in their early years after Christ ascended to heaven, before the gospels had been widely distributed. Okay? Now for, so that was the Colossians then. Now for us, who have the New Testament, which includes the words of Christ and the teachings of Christ and the writings of the, uh, about, of the apostles about Christ, Certainly, the word of Christ includes all of the New Testament. I would also include the Old Testament scriptures as being the word of Christ. Because among other things, I mean, it was inspired by the Spirit, God, Christ, together, the Spirit of Christ. But also, after his resurrection, before his ascension, while on the road to Emmaus, speaking uh, to two disciples, Jesus said, these are my words, speaking of the Old Testament, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he, the Old Testament scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So for us, we can equate the Word of Christ with the entire Word of God, the Bible, which focuses on Christ. And with that understanding, how do we let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? Well, if the Word is going to dwell in you and me richly, if it's going to take up residence that's what it means to dwell, to take up residence in our lives and be rich, abundant, part of who we are. If we're going to internalize the word of Christ, then it should come as no surprise that we have to begin by uh, reading it. Anybody not get that? I mean, it's right there. God, in His grace and mercy, has given us the amazing gift of the written word. 
Not as a paperweight or something to decorate our bookshelves or just to bring to church. You know, Mark Easter, if you guys remember Mark Easter, he told me this. Uh, he had a, a, like a, a bump, a big like lump on his wrist kind of thing. And he said uh, that it was called a, shoot, I forgot. What was it called? A Bible cyst. Because in the olden days, or maybe even today, I think he did it actually, you took your Bible and you whacked it and it broke it up. And so the Bible is not meant to get rid of your cysts. The Bible is meant to read. He's given it to us to read, to believe, to apply. And I have great news. So, uh, you know, I was a grocery store worker at Stater Brothers when I was in college. We went on strike. That was not good. You know, food, less available. I hate it when the pilots go on strike. The flights, the, the nurses. Patty, hate it when you go on strike. Uh, that's bad. But guess what? The TV writers are on strike. I think they still are. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? No new shows. That gives us much more time to read the Word of God. Okay. All kidding aside, read it. Now, some might think that the Bible, I, you've heard this before, haven't you? Even from Christians, that the Bible is just too difficult to understand. It's really hard uh, to understand. I mean, there are groups, that's what I'll call them, that have even forbid their lay people from reading the Scripture because they, could get, they couldn't understand it, get the wrong idea. But the Bible itself testifies to its understandability. To Timothy, Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Scripture is breathed out, inspired by God. It's the Word of God, the Word of Christ, and it's profitable in, in many ways, which means it's understandable. For it to be profitable, you have to understand it. Now, we should acknowledge, and we will, that it's ultimately only understandable to those who've been given the Spirit of God. I remember in college having discussions with my uh, Bible professor, I was at UCR at the time, about some things in the Bible. He clearly did not get it. He was teaching it, he knew it, but he didn't get it because he didn't have the Spirit of God. In John 13, 16, 13, Jesus promises, when the Spirit of, the, of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So for those who have the Spirit of God... Those who've trusted in Christ, been given, sealed with the Spirit of God, the truth of God's Word will not be difficult to understand. Now, admittedly, there are some difficult passages. If you were with us for the second half of Daniel and the flying goats and stuff like that, you gotta, you got to work it out. There's some hard things. But I think Mark Twain put it in perspective when he said, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture which they cannot understand. But for me, as for me, I've always noticed that the passages in Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. In a backhanded way, Twain is saying that instead of focusing on the few passages that are difficult to understand, we should focus on the many passages that are easy to understand but might be very difficult to apply. Oh, that's really what it means. That's hard. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not understanding it properly. The vast majority of biblical teaching is understandable, especially in our day when we have so many resources to help us. 
We have study Bibles, commentaries. It's on your phone, your app, where you can highlight a word, and it gives you the Greek or the Hebrew translation. So bottom line, for those who are in Christ, who have the Spirit of God, the Bible is understandable, and we need to read it. We need to allow God's Word to speak into our lives, to comfort us when needed, to convict us when needed, to teach, reprove, correct, to train us. However, reading alone probably won't let the Word of God, the Word of Christ, richly dwell in you. As Paul wrote to Timothy, do your best or study, labor, to present yourselves to God as a workman, as, as one approved, a workman who has not no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul is saying, and it has been my experience, that when we take time, when we labor over, when we study the word of God, that's when it's internalized. That's when it begins to richly dwell in our hearts. I certainly experience this uh, as I prepare a message pretty much every Sunday as I study, as I labor over the text, as I pray through the text, it becomes eternalized. I begin to think about it. I begin to apply it to my life. I certainly glean and am tr much more than probably you do uh, just by sitting here and hearing it once, okay? So, we should all be preparing sermons or at least spending time studying like we were going to, going to have to communicate this with someone else. Because among other things, there is great joy in internalizing the Word of God. As the prophet Jeremiah states, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. I ate them, I internalized them, I took them in. The Word of God, the Word of Christ is worthy of eating, of taking in, of meditating on, of memorizing, and never forget uh, obeying. The Word is not to be studied as an academic exercise alone, but as the revelation of God, the revelation of who He is, what He has done, what He will do, and what He desires uh, for you and for me. The Word of God is meant to guide and direct your life. You know the Word of Christ is richly dwelling in you when you experience great joy in obeying it. Now Paul goes on to tell us that, following, uh, that flowing from the Word of Christ, richly dwelling in our hearts, is ministry to one another. You see, as we saw uh, with peace of Christ, experiencing life in Christ is not a solo venture. If you're trying to live an isolated life in Christ, you're missing out on a great deal. In fact, I would say you're not living a life in Christ if you're not participating in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? This is the point Paul's making in the rest of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This speaks of how uh, the Word of Christ richly dwelling in you results in ministry to one another. 
Teaching one another from the word of Christ that dwells richly in you. Admonishing or correcting one another based on the wisdom you've received from the word of Christ that dwells richly in you. This certainly happens here and in other churches on Sunday mornings as pastors who are inter- who've internalized the word throughout that week teach it to the congregation. But it's not limited to Sundays. It can and should happen throughout the week in our small groups. As Chuck and Don and Brian and others who lead our small groups internalize the word. As everyone in the group internalizes the word and then shares it with one another, teaches one another, admonishes one another. And it can, can and should happen in our families as we relate together in genuine relationships. But you might say, well, I, I just don't feel gifted to teach or admonish, to correct, to encourage from the Word of God. And I would say, well, the Bible certainly teaches that there are those that God specially gifts for this teaching and preaching. But God also wants all of us to minister to one another in this way. It's like saying, uh, well, I'm not gifted in the area of mercy, but you're still called to be a merciful person. I'm not gifted to teach, but you're still called to teach. Maybe not behind a pulpit, maybe not even leading a small group, but in your areas, in the areas, in the lives of the people you have influence over. My guess is, if you don't feel equipped to teach or admonish, even on one-on-one or the family level, it's because you haven't put in the labor, the work, so that the Word of Christ richly dwells in you. For when, for when that's the case, when you've done the work, when you, that's the, the Word of Christ is dwelling richly in you, you can't help in humility, in humility, teach and admonish, share the Word of God with others. And there's more ministry to one another. Along with teaching and admonishing, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs based on the Word of Christ that richly dwells within us. There isn't necessarily just so you're I'm not going to do a discourse on what's the difference between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's just using different words to describe pretty much the same thing. Basically, Paul is simply emphasizing the rich variety of Christian songs that were available even in his day. Bottom line, we're to be ministering to one another through songs of worship. And we certainly do this congregationally on Sunday mornings as Liam leads us. And we do this in our small groups. Sometimes, I think, sometimes we forget about this part. But I think uh, we are a little more formal regarding our singing than the early church might have been. As I read various commentaries, historical commentaries about singing in the early church, it seemed more spontaneous. One got up and sang perhaps a psalm and another might respond. Hymns broke forth uh, in hearty, hearty chorus, others sang spontaneously about what God had done for them. There was music in their hearts. Now, I'm not recommending that every one of us uh, do a solo. That might not be good, especially if one of us was me. But it seems that Paul is calling for more participation in worship. Whether that's on a Sunday morning or at other times, singing uh, uh, 
word, the word of Christ, singing word of Christ based praises to the Lord is crucial to the life of the body of Christ. You can see this in church history. The record of Christian awakenings or revivals during the last 2,000 years shows that whenever the Word of God is proclaimed and received with great joy, this joy is inevitably expressed in song. One recent example of this was in the late 60s, early 70s. If you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie or if you were old enough to remember that time, I'm just kidding. That spiritual revival in the church, uh, that, that one, as well as many others, brought a revival in Scripture singing. A massive amount of new Bible-based, gospel-centered songs were produced. For example, I'm not going to try to sing these, hmm. but maybe some of you will. Father, I adore you. Father, I adore you. Behold what manner of love the Father has given. I'm going on. That's another one. I love you, Lord. Just simple Bible songs. Seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom. Oh, man. Liam, I need you. Come on, brother. <laughs> I remember this one. Uh, it helped me memorize 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Remember, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. I'm not singing it. And then I like uh, the song just titled Micah 6, 8. He hath shown you. Oh, man. What is good? Okay. Enough of that. But I could go on. They're just, you know, the singing permeates the church as God begins to work. As a new Christian in the 70s, I sang these scriptural songs. And, and it's interesting how uh, these songs themselves, there was like a, the word of Christ richly dwelling in us produced these songs, and these songs helped the word of Christ to richly dwell in us. So when you internalize the Word of Christ through reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, God will inevitably use you to minister others to others through teaching, admonishing, and song. And in that way, you'll live your best new life in Christ. And then finally, as a sort of summary of everything that's gone before, Paul instructs, engage in everything for Christ. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That seems to cover it, right? Uh, I looked up the word everything in the Greek, and I know this joke gets old, but it said it means everything. Everything. Every word, every deed, everything in your life. Deeds can be preaching, teaching, singing and eating, and exercising, and driving, and cleaning your house, and shopping, and visiting, and working, and reading, and playing, or watching sports, even watching TV, everything. And our words are everything that passes our lip, from our lips, everything we say. So everything you say or do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice that instead of saying, in the name of Christ which he's used twice already. He said the, word of, the peace of Christ, the, the, the word of Christ. Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's already used Christ, and now I think he wants to get all of Jesus' names here. Because in Scripture, the name is not just what, what you're called by someone, it's the description of who they are. Christ 
is the Hebrew Messiah and means anointed one. Jesus comes from the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, which means Jehovah. Yahweh is salvation. And Lord means master, ruler, supreme authority. So the name of Jesus is the, means the promised Messiah, the anointed Savior, the Lord of all, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So what does it mean? What does it look like to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, some understand this to mean that everything a Christian does is to be undertaken in dependence on the Lord. No matter what I do or say, I must depend on the Lord Christ to provide me with the strength, the power, the to say and to do the right thing. Others think it means that everything a Christian does is to be done in recognition of the authority of Jesus' name. No matter what I do or say, I do it based on the authority of Jesus Christ. Whilst others take in the name of the Lord Jesus to mean as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what I say, No matter what I do, I'm acting as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. Did you get those? A, B, C, anybody for A? Oh, man. No wonder I'm so smart. That's my dad. He got it right off. I would say all the above. No matter what I do or say, I must depend on Christ. I must recognize the authority of Christ, and I must represent Christ. We must do everything for Christ. We need to understand how big this is and how far we fail often. At least I fail. We tend to divide our lives between the the sacred and the secular. You guys know what I mean by that? Church stuff and world stuff. Church and work, if you will. Okay, I'm going to church, going to Bible study. I'm even going to spend some time praying This is God's time. This is when I say and do things in the name of the Lord Jesus. But at at other times, driving, I don't remember Jesus around then, eating, overeating, exercising even or not, God really isn't involved there. But Paul is saying there's no division between the sacred and the secular. Everything you do is to be done in dependence on Christ. Everything you do is to be done under the authority of Christ. Everything you do do is to be done as you represent Christ in this world, as you are his ambassadors. Now, one thing that helps me with this uh, uh, is constantly reminding myself that no matter where I go, No matter what I say, no matter what I'm doing, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, I believe, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, same, same, the Holy Spirit, same, same, is there with me. Remember Jesus' final words of the Great Commission recorded in Matthew. To his disciples, he said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The context here is taking the gospel, representing Jesus Christ to the ends of the world, and I'm going to be with you. We need to let this promise give us the peace of Christ that rules our hearts. We need to let this word of Christ richly dwell within us. We need to allow this promise to influence everything we do and say in the name of the Lord Jesus. I would suggest that you take some time this week to consider Even meditate on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is always with you. 
and that his word instructs you to do everything in his name. Consider what changes you need to make in your life based on that truth. Are there, are there places in your life you just don't want Jesus to go? Well, he's there. Understand that. Because living your best new life in Christ comes as we tear down that division between the sacred and the secular. Recognizing that Christ, in Christ, all things are sacred. And therefore, all things are to be done in His name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing that Paul highlights that we must do in the name of the Lord Jesus is be thankful. We don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to go through this really quick. Each of these three commands that we've just looked at uh, ended with an exhortation on thanksgiving. Verse, verse 15, submit to the peace of Christ and be thankful. Verse 16, internalize the word of Christ, reading, admonishing, and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm not really sure, but I think Paul's trying to tell us something. Did you guys get it? Apparently, we are, in everything we say and do, to be thankful people. The most uh, direct of these exhortations to thankfulness is verse 15, and be thankful. Literally, it says, become thankful, because we're to, be, to keep on striving for deeper gratitude than we've attained. Life in Christ, everything we do and say is to be filled with thanksgiving. And even in the most difficult times, now if you're able to say, thank you God for this difficult time, blessings on you, but at least you can say, thank you God that you're with me and sustaining me through this difficult time. I think what Paul is saying as the peace of Christ rules in our lives, be thankful to God for the peace of Christ. As the Word of God dwells richly in you, be thankful to God for the Word of Christ. And as you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, give thanks to God that it is through Christ that you can do these things. So are you thankful for the peace, the Word, the presence of Christ in your life? And does your life, your words indeed show it? Because being thankful to Christ is crucial for living your best life in Christ. It's that thankful person. Have you met people that are thankful? They're experiencing joy in their lives. As they, as, they, as they express gratitude, it brings back joy. And uh, coincidentally or not, the word thankful in the Greek is the word eucharistal, from which we get our English word eucharist. Are you familiar with that word? Happens to be another word for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper communion, which we're about to participate in, is a time of remembrance, of celebration, of thanksgiving. Remembering, celebrating, and thanking Christ for who He is, for what He's done for us. So as the ushers and the worship team come forward, I want us to take a moment to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. I'm going to give you a few minutes, a silent prayer, a time between you and God where you can go to Him, a time where you can uh, confess any known sin. Maybe as, as we went through the Word today, 
oh man, I am not letting that peace rule. That, you think of that situation where there was the exp- you exploded. I mean, I, I've had one recently and it keeps coming back to me. I did not let the peace of Christ rule me in that time. Maybe there are other things that God brought to your mind. So take those to him. Confess any known sins. And God is faithful and he'll forgive you. And also, uh, take this time to personally thank him for what he's done in, in your life. Be thankful to God even now as we approach the Lord's table. So take a moment for silent confession and thanksgiving, preparing your hearts to receive from the Lord. Let's pray.